0: But it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all breathtaking hikes, kid friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies west. Discover yours at travelwyoming.com. I live by routines, especially my same
1: day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com.
2: This podcast will contain explicit language and references to sex. All of it will be in the second half of the show after the break. Okay. Hi, I'm Sam Evans Brown, and uh, we're on the show in a studio. I'm joined by producer Justine Paradise.
3: Yep. And our story today starts with a debate, a fight. If you will. A fight. A fight. <laughs> You might be familiar with Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill Nye the Science.
2: Yeah, it's a show on TV on in the nineties.
3: Yep, PBS. Um, and this is his new show, 2017, on Netflix. It's called Bill Nye Saves the World. Now, Sam,
4: yes, sir, you're an astrologer. That's right.
3: So Bill Nye on on this episode, he's hosting a panel, and here he's speaking with astrologer Samuel Reynolds about the validity of astrology.
4: You know, I don't believe any of it. Yes, I do know that. And do you know why? Tell me, enlighten me. You, well, it just never has anything to do with anything. And you're telling me there's only 12 types of people. And what about...
3: So this panel you know, is part of an episode of the show called Malarkey. And throughout the episode, um, the thing to know is that Bill Nye has framed astrology repeatedly as a pseudoscience, basically saying...
4: It's all crap. None of it's true. And it wouldn't matter. So he, he asked Samuel Reynolds... <laughs> but what's your deal? You, uh, you, you
5: don't believe it either? I, I use astrology, I think astrology is like a language. When you say, for instance, it's a pseudoscience, right? I would have to first believe it's a science. I don't believe astrology is a science. What is it? It's an interpretive art.
3: I think that Bill Nye kind of expected to mic drop this moment by being like, it's not a science, don't claim it's one, you're you're falsely claiming this. And um, Sam Reynolds is just like, well, I actually don't claim it's a science. Right.
5: So what service do you provide for people with your art? I use the cultural imagination that we know as astrology to talk to them about how their idea of themselves, based on their chart, their birth chart, syncs up with their life experience. Basically, using biography as
4: In other a means, words, you get them to tell you stuff about no, themselves, tell, and then you reinforce it with these astrological no, things in the background.
5: No, it's actually- it's kind of a bully.
3: Yeah, he, he's not doing a great job of listening, but um, can I ask you something real yeah. quick? What's your sign?
5: I'm an
2: Aquarius. All right. Which I knew at the drop of a hat. Exactly.
3: You know that off the top of your head. Um, And so do I. I'm a Capricorn. Um, But this is not surprising, right? Like, I think at least in our corner of the United States, you would be pretty hard pressed to find a person who doesn't know their sign.
2: Yeah, I bet you my dad knows his.
3: And, And does he believe in astrology? No. And have you ever engaged in astrology too much beyond like reading your horoscope in a magazine? No, not at all. So I'll just note really quick here that Um, We just heard astrology framed as an art and not a science, but there are astrologers that that do think of astrology as a science, um, and therefore it could be vulnerable to this criticism that it is a pseudoscience. But um, I'm just going to say, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care. I am not interested in proving or disproving astrology on technical grounds. If we can put down the science part for a second, what else could be possible to understand? To me, the most interesting part of the Bill Nye show is this next exchange. When Bill Nye turns to another person on his panel, journalist and professional skeptic, Jamila Bay.
4: How do you feel about this point of view?
5: Uh I I feel touchy-feely and weird and I want it replicated in the lab. Um I Yeah, can you make a prediction? Sure, I can make a prediction. But I don't think everything, every aspect of knowledge, has to be replicable. It does in in a lab. I don't don't think that's all. Lab or in a telescope. So is, is all knowledge sequestered to science?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Right? I know. you're listening to outside in a show about the natural world and how we use it or in this case the cosmos and how we use it i'm sam evans brown depending on who you ask astrology is a science an art form a spirituality a form of therapy or a pseudoscience a scam fortune telling but astrology is way more than a horoscope on today's episode producer justine paradise takes a look at the celestial sky and explores astrology today How do people use it, and what might that say about this cosmic moment?
3: Astrology is experiencing a bit of a moment in popular culture. In fact, you could say that astrology is so hot right now. To demonstrate this, I present...
6: Hey guys, it's Lizzo. I'm floating somewhere in the cosmos.
3: Critically acclaimed rapper and singer Lizzo.
6: I do my tall, check my nails.
3: Here she's reading a horoscope written for her by Chani Nicholas, the Oprah magazine astrologer.
6: Sometimes horoscopes scare the f*** out of me. Everyone sees your success, but only you know the effort behind every win. Damn, this is f***ing deep, bro. From The New Yorker ass- to The Atlantic to Vice,
3: you can find a cajillion articles like from the last couple years all basically asking... Why is astrology so popular right now? Or alternatively, why do millennials love astrology so much? So I will get to why astrology is having such a moment, and I would say a pretty profound moment in terms of its 4,000-year history. But first, I should say, astrology is not one thing. People have looked at the stars and created systems of meaning all over the world and all throughout time. There's the Chinese zodiac, the Mayans and the Aztecs also created their own systems, plus there's Indian or Vedic astrology, but I'm going to be focusing on Western astrology in this episode. Western astrology is based on the tropical zodiac, thanks to some foundational texts written by Greek astronomer Claudius Ptolemy in the 2nd century CE. So, the basics. From our perspective on Earth, over the course of the year, the Sun appears to pass through a series of constellations. Aries, then Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, and so on. This is the Zodiac Belt. Think of the tropical zodiac as a map of the sky over the course of one year. In this map, the sky is divided into 12 equal parts, each one named for these constellations in the zodiac belt. Generally speaking, it takes about a month for the sun to move, as it rises and falls each night, from one region of the sky to another. These regions are the signs each with its own set of personality traits and meanings. So the question, what's your sign, is asking, where was the sun at the moment you were born? So, for example, if you were born when the sun was moving through the part of the map called Aquarius, you're an Aquarius. But on this map of the celestial sky, the tropical zodiac, astrologers chart the positions of not just the sun, but also the moon and the planets and their relationships to each other. Each of the signs in each of these celestial objects have personality traits and meanings and resonances. And astrology asserts all of that can give you information about you and your life. One criticism that figures like Bel Nye sometimes point out is that the tropical zodiac does not actually reflect what's happening in the night sky anymore. It's super old, remember, and the night sky is not static. Earth wobbles on its axis in a 25,000-year cycle. This is caused by uneven gravitational poles on the planet from the sun and the moon. But what this means is a lot of things have shifted. So now the tropical zodiac and the stars in the sky don't totally line up.
4: Oh, and what about the wobbling of the Earth and, you know, we, the, the, what used to be a Sagittarius is now... This
3: is the, why you might have heard some people say that there ought to be a 13th sign, now, a oh. Phaeacus.
4: Oh, Yes. You're the
5: 13th sign. There is no 13th sign. You would be under the 13th sign. Yes.
3: But forget that. There is an astrology that's tied more closely to the constellations. It's called the sidereal zodiac. But the tropical zodiac is not. It's meant to be tied to the cyclical nature of seasons on Earth. So once a Capricorn, always a Capricorn. But enough with the technical basics of astrology.
7: There are things in astrology I take seriously and things which really uh, annoy me and which I don't take seriously. But uh, for about the last 20 years, my sole interest has been in it as a cultural phenomenon. What does it do? What does it claim? What's its nature?
3: This is Nick Campion. He is an associate professor of cosmology and culture at the University of Wales, Trinity, St. David, and he's the program manager of their master's degree in cultural astronomy and astrology. He also practiced astrology until the 1980s, and he's a historian. Starting even millennia before Ptolemy, astrology's use and meaning has changed over and over and over again. It's been respected as a symbol of wisdom.
7: The Islamic caliphs in the 8th century, there's this huge cultural flowering, with astrology as a very important part of this.
3: It's also been a way of finding meaning outside the boundaries of religion, so it's also been suppressed.
7: Christianity is very hostile to astrology. It's polluted by its associated with pagan religion, but also because the Christians tend to see the act of making an astrological prediction as second-guessing God's right to control the future.
3: It's been used in medicine.
7: Every herb, Every plant, in fact, every part of every animal, relates to a star, planet and zodiac sign. In
3: medieval Europe, astrological predictions were practically an extension of weather forecasting.
7: An almanac would contain you know, good days for planting, good days for traveling and so on.
3: Shakespeare used astrology to leave clues for his audience.
7: Romeo and Juliet. A pair of star-crossed lovers take their life.
3: And even relatively recently, in the 1600s, some astronomers still dabbled.
7: Galileo, who was the first man to use a telescope, and Johannes Kepler, who gave us the laws of planetary motion, were both practicing astrologers.
3: But around and just after the time of the Salem witch trials, people started to feel a little icky about astrology and about ideas of magic in general. In England, laws against witchcraft shifted away from it is illegal to be a witch to it's illegal to mislead people by telling their fortunes, for instance.
7: Around 1690, you find astrology scarcely exists at a, amongst educated people. It's mainly to be laughed at as, and used as an example of how stupid people can be.
3: And this brings us to what I would argue is the foundational reason that astrology is experiencing a moment right now. It started in the 1800s, England. It's the Industrial Revolution, there's intense urbanization, and a lot of really obvious inequality. Think Charles Dickens. This is when political economist Karl Marx is looking around at society and putting his ideas together.
7: How is it fair that some people are born to wealth and privilege and other people are born to a life of destitution in the slums?
3: And this is when a man named Alan Leo comes into our story. Alan Leo's last name is not a coincidence. He is in fact a Leo, and he's the one who invented the idea of there being a Leo. He was born William Frederick Allen in England, and he's sometimes called the father of modern astrology. Alan Leo joined a spiritual movement called Theosophy.
7: I see the Theosophists as almost an alternative revolutionary tradition to Marxist and uh, the socialist movements. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, so Marx and the socialists say that society can only be reformed, or revolution can only happen in the case of Marxists, through altering material circumstances. So you alter the material conditions of people's lives. You give them enough money. You give them control over the means of production, and we will end up with a better society. Now, the the critique of that position is that you can engineer such reforms, but if people internally are still the same, then you'll end up reproducing the same problems.
3: So Alan Leo and the Theosophists, especially a woman named Helena Blavatsky, they start to get interested in ideas of cosmic destiny to explain why someone might be born into a destitute position. So ideas like karma and reincarnation, these are ideas borrowed from Hinduism and Buddhism, And this leads Alan Leo to astrology.
7: So he really did develop the idea of the individual in astrology in a new way, the the, need to understand oneself spiritually. He also, as part of the same process, really simplified astrology. So Alan
3: Leo introduces the sun sign.
7: The sign the sun is in at your birth becomes the fundamental way of understanding your personality, your current spiritual existence.
3: Previously, the sun sign had just been a part of that bigger astrological map. But today, it's the thing you know off the top of your head. That you are an Aquarius, or a Cancer, or a Capricorn. And this is a big, big change. Rather than using the stars to read your destiny and perhaps the future, the difference is using the stars to look inward. With the sun signs, we each become a type and we use astrology as a means to understand the self. By the 1930s, the first 12-paragraph horoscope column had been printed in a newspaper.
7: That's when we really get this shift towards people saying, I'm a Taurus, what are you? Hey, we're compatible. That would not have happened prior to this time in the interpretation of a birth chart.
3: That is wild that that's just 100 years old or so, because I think that's how people think of astrology is, oh, I'm
7: a Capricorn, I'm a Cancer. Yeah, it's uh, it's incredibly recent. I mean, there is a lineage. You know, astrology always held this potential, but there's definitely then this radical shift towards an emphasis on the individual.
3: So this was very self-focused and, like, work on yourself and your future will improve.
7: Exactly. You know, we're talking about the beginning of the century of the self, It's very much a parallel development to the beginnings of psychoanalysis. So the idea that inner development is a precondition for wider revolution then becomes extremely strong in the 1960s.
3: So the next step is kind of obvious. An astrologer named Dane Rudyard connected the archetypes of the Zodiac to the archetypes of Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst. And so a new kind of psychological astrology started to take off. A new way of understanding yourself.
7: So he says, look, if somebody is psychologically unaware, they will be living out a fated existence, and you can make predictions for their lives. But as soon as somebody starts to become psychologically aware, or to individuate, as Jung called it, then they will be changing their future and then the astrologer's task is to if you like, illuminate the person about their options, where they can go, what they're like, how they can understand themselves, how they can change.
3: Kind of sounds like therapy.
7: Therapy indeed. The client goes to the astrologer, not for a set of predictions, but for a counselling session. And you can hear this influence.
5: You can hear it in what astrologer Samuel Reynolds said to Bill Nye. It's the, the marriage between math and myth. The idea that we look at our cultural imagination with myth and mythological stories and marry it to what we now know as science in terms of astronomical phenomena.
8: We get to learn about ourselves. There's so many things here, and it's just like, oh, that's why I do that. And then all of a sudden you recognize something about yourself. You could, if you could study your chart for a year, that's worth like 10 years of psychotherapy.
3: <laughs> it really is.
8: And you can hear it if you go visit an astrologer for
3: a birth chart consultation, like I did. This is astrologer Dorothy Morgan.
8: We all have our own signature, like a fingerprint.
3: She used my birth chart to start a conversation with me about my life.
8: My question for you is like, do you take your time making decisions about things? Do you feel yeah I would say true? usually yeah yeah.
3: Um, yeah I feel like what I making decisions I'll like try, think about it
8: for The experience day. mostly just felt like a
3: conversation with a friendly curious counselor just using the stars and planets as a starting point to talk about my feelings That's
8: wonderful. yeah okay
3: okay. So today people can engage with astrology on a variety of levels. That includes a sort of surface entertainment level with 12-paragraph magazine horoscopes or a very deliberate one-on-one consultation with a professional astrologer. But there's also internet astrology culture. And that's after the break.
0: I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very rocky balboa so sweatpants sweatshirt anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear john G. makes performance apparel that will take you farther on your runs and hikes they have this merino wool hoodie that i wore on multiple trail runs this weekend it's soft it's warm and most importantly it does not get stinky when you get stinky Another reason to love Janji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Janji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at That's Janji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I dot with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off.
1: I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipt. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com.
4: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories.
2: Welcome back. Just a quick reminder that this podcast contains explicit language and talk of sex and sexuality, which starts up pretty quickly after the break here. Welcome back to the show. I'm Sam Evans-Brown. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and (laughs) how we represent it in star charts. Today on the show, producer Justine Paradise is exploring astrology and how it is used.
3: If you've got the time, the date and the location of your birth, it is very easy to go onto the Internet and look up your complete birth chart. Not just your sun sign, but your moon and rising signs, the planets, their exaltations, their aspects, and so on. And for that reason, astrology has been memefied. There are tons of people playing around with interpretations of the signs as office characters, the signs as cocktails, as perfume scents, as Bjork songs. And a lot of people have observed this is especially happening among women, young people like millennials, and queer people. And one of the places you can see that is online on dating apps.
0: Show me love. Scorpio, lesbian, calm boy. Looking for stable relationship, community, or girl to fuck good. Make me start smoking again and read in my bed.
9: Queer Scorpio, fat hippie, looking for conscious and open connection and communication. Want to explore and watch the stars from the bed of my truck. Sleeveless
8: in Seattle, 32-year-old mask of center, white, Piscean, looking for maximal silliness and a flirtatious eye roll. Actions, not words.
9: Love, not hate. Come say hi. Very giving in bed, but don't be afraid to top me, top me, top me, baby.
3: So what you just heard were excerpts of a few different personal ads from Lex, a dating app for queer women and gender non-binary people. It was founded by Kel Rakowski.
9: It started because I had just come out and I was just teaching myself more and more about um, lesbian history and culture. So I was just finding all these really cool images of lesbians, digging through the Internet. The idea, Kel says, started five years ago
3: when she was putting a lot of those images of lesbian history and culture onto her Instagram account,
9: Herstory. And along the way, I came upon this lesbian erotica magazine called On Our Backs. And in the back of every issue were personal ads written by lesbian, bisexual women looking for love, hot
3: sex. In November 2019, Kel launched her dating app, Lex. And the design reflects the feeling of those original historical ads she found. No pictures, just words. So um, turning to astrology. um, Yes. We know that sort of astrology is is kind of used in in dating generally as a self-description, like Scorpio seeks Gemini or something. Um, But I I keep hearing that this is especially a thing in like, quote unquote, like queer dating culture. And I don't know if that's um, if you're like, what is your experience? Do you think that's true? Uh
9: yes, (laughs) like how often do you see it? I would say half the time. Twenty-five white Capricorn geek back in Texas after way too. Astro skeptic, but a practicing Leo loves attention. Scorpio rising, intense. Virgo moon, Cap rising. 34 Taurus to the fullest. Leo Moon, Sun and Scorpio, Venus Moon, in Gemini, favor of dates, donuts, dildos, and Aquarian discussion. robot brain and squishy Pisces heart. I smile Cancer and Moon Venus in Leo. I'm a twenty-one-year-old Leo, they them, spiritual.
7: I think astrology has certainly in its modern form, has actually been quite radical in its attitude to gender.
3: That's historian Nick Campion again. He says there might be a reason why astrology lends a sympathetic framework towards queerness or marginalised identities.
7: You may be biologically male or biologically female, but in your birth chart, the the planets are gendered. And so the Moon and Venus are female, Mars and Saturn are male and so on. And so there's always been an understanding in astrology, going back to earliest times, that there is an internal feminine and an internal masculine. So I think for this reason, probably, astrology offers an instantly sympathetic framework for self-understanding to people who don't feel as if they fit into a binary male-female situation.
3: Obviously, not all queer people are into astrology, In fact, on Lex, some people make sure to explicitly say that.
9: Here's Kel Rakowski again. I just found one right now. It says, astrology is alienating and not my thing.
3: But astrology can serve as a shorthand. Rather than say, I'm an emotional person and my family's really important to me, you instead might say, Cancer Sun. It's a signifier. And that high degree of specificity in astrology that's made possible in part by the internet again, because anyone with their birth information can easily get access to a complete birth chart for free, means you can get real detailed on the apps. And that hyper-specificity of astrology kind of matches the other ways people are already using language in terms of describing their own identities.
9: I've been saying that really part of the reason why Personals and Lex is taken off because queer people have their own language within a language, and I think the language of astrology is also kind of packaged within that.
3: This actually reflects what the astrologer Samuel Reynolds said on that panel with Bill Nye.
9: No, it's actually using the language
5: of astrology as a means of talking with them about, dialoguing with them about their lives, about themselves.
3: So it's a language. Uh, Kel said this wasn't actually the original intent of the name behind the app, but Lex is short for lexicon, which means language. Having said all that, I am not arguing here that astrology is necessarily a positive force all the time. It can get very powerful in people's lives, and at times maybe too powerful.
6: It felt like an easy outlet to go to because I didn't have to be vulnerable with somebody else. I can just pull up an app. This is Heidi Chu. She's a journalist living in New York City, and here she's speaking with our producer,
3: Sarah Ernst. Her sun sign is Libra. But she also really identifies with her rising sign, Gemini. Gemini is like two-sided, so it's like you have two faces. Part of the reason that Gemini resonates is because it helps Heidi deal with questions of identity. See, Heidi lives in the States now, but she grew up in Hong Kong.
6: How I act there is so different from how I act here just because of mm, my surroundings and what it necessitates. Like, do I identify as Asian-Asian or do I identify as Asian-American? Am I Chinese enough? Where do I fall in the color lines in terms of, like, American racial discourse? Heidi's interest in Western
3: astrology really peaked halfway through college. It was a time when she was dealing with a lot of uncertainty in her life and in her personal relationships. That's when she started using an app, which offered daily horoscope advice for different parts of her life, like friendship, career,
6: love. And Heidi says it was very, very literal about how she should live. I think at that point I depended on it to help me make decisions because I couldn't read the situation. I would allow what the horoscope tell me dictate my entire day and my entire mood. And I think at that point... When my use peaked, that's when it really became toxic for me. And even though I loved it, but it was also like a toxic love at the same time.
3: One of my favorite horoscopes to read each week are those published on The Cut with New York Magazine. They're written by Claire Comstock-Gay. The kinds of horoscopes that she writes are very different than those Heidi describes. Rather than specific
8: advice... Claire's horoscopes are really lyrical. They're practically poetry prose. I'm really all about feelings and not about, you know, when it's a good time to negotiate for a raise at your job or whatever. Heidi's description of her over-reliance on her
3: daily horoscope reminded me of part of my conversation with Claire.
8: I think um, we have a hard time just dealing with kind of unruly feelings and the ways that we contradict ourselves and the ways that we have so much trouble interacting with other people and so what astrology is really great at is saying there's so many ways to be a person there's so many ways to feel and to um you know just desire things in the world and they're all natural and they're all fine and of course they're all different because it's set up this way
3: one one way i have heard it also described is like free therapy totally
8: (laughs) you know on the one hand i think that's so totally true and i also think that can go a little bit um you know, it depends on the person. I hear a lot of, like, right, just to talk about myself, like, oh, I'm a Sagittarius, therefore you can never rely on me, <laughs> right? Um, like, I'm just naturally a little bit flaky, and you all must deal with that, right? And I, so I don't, I don't want to say that astrology is great about just encouraging you to, like, lean all the way into your worst impulses. And so it still requires, like, a lot of hard work, I think, on any individual's part. And eventually, that's what Heidi Chu found, too.
3: At first, when she tried to stop using astrology, she just deleted the app. But she would keep re-downloading it and starting up again. Getting out of her toxic relationship with astrology took a real, active participation in her own life. And an acceptance that certain things were just beyond her control.
6: Sometimes I would be like, wow, like, I actually haven't checked my horoscope in like two weeks. And that was really impressive to me because it's like, There are times when I would check my horoscope multiple times a day, knowing that it would just say the same thing, but I had to see that again. Like, going from there to, like, forgetting to check your horoscope every day was a very liberating feeling, definitely, for sure.
3: Even though she does think of that period of daily horoscope readings as a toxic dependency, Heidi still uses astrology. But now it's more casual, less literal, less frequent. And it's more about finding ways to be a better person. I like this story because it's almost like Heidi went through a journey that reflects the story of astrology over the past hundred years or so. From literal predictions and simple sun sign horoscopes to a humanistic or transpersonal astrology. One that starts a conversation about one's inner life and connects with other people. Here's New York Magazine astrologer Claire Comstock-Gay again.
8: You know, astrology does open up this really wonderful space of being a full human person kind of in a world that wants to make it really difficult for us to do that um and by us I mean anyone but by us I also mean women and I mean young people and I mean queer people right and for some with the right approach there's a freedom there I think astrology um right it's kind of a way to a way for a person to live on their own terms which is a little bit funny because that's opposite to what what a lot of um, skeptics think about astrology right that we just think that there's no free will and the planets are telling us everything to do um which is really one of the more frustrating things to me because that's obviously not what astrology is about at all um but i think there's something really nice to think about there being something bigger than us and not just us but also bigger than like our student debt or bigger than you know, the patriarchy, right?
3: (laughs) That desire to feel like you're part of something bigger, to find a system for navigating unruly emotions or understanding the roots of trauma, it doesn't just lead people to astrology. You could also use a different personality metric to do these things, perhaps the Myers-Briggs type indicator, which actually comes from a similar intellectual lineage as modern astrology. You could use tarot or the Enneagram. You could also look at it through a more scientific lens, like the workings of the brain through neuropsychiatry. You could go to therapy. And in fact, you don't actually have to pick just one of these. There are plenty of people who use a combination, and at least for me, there's no one system that feels like it really encompasses the experience of being an emotional human being on Earth and how to live a good life which actually brings us back to that moment on Bill Nye Saves the World.
4: Jamila, you're a skeptic. I am. How do you feel about this point of view?
5: Uh, I, I feel touchy-feely and weird, and I want it replicated in the lab. Um, I, you yeah. Know- can
4: you make a prediction?
5: Sure, I can make a prediction. But I don't think everything, every aspect of knowledge has to be replicable. replicable replicable in a lab. I don't think that's... A lab or in a telescope. So is, is all knowledge sequestered to science? No. Okay. No. But earlier
3: in the episode, Bill Nye really sounds like that's what he believes, that knowledge might be
4: sequestered to science. People, we want critical thinking skills. We want you to understand the world around you through the process of science. Don't be confirming your biases. Question things.
3: One paper I read suggested that this is the sort of thinking that might have led evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins to famously describe constellations as, quote, of no more significance than a patch of curiously shaped damp on the bathroom ceiling.
5: That's that's often a bent that many skeptics will take, is that what's empirical is real. Whereas most of human behavior, most of human history... It's not empirical or has any basis in empiricism at all. This is
3: astrologer Samuel Reynolds, who was on that panel on that episode of Bill Nye. I called him up a while back to ask him about the experience of being on the show. Yeah, what do you think that in essence, if you were to just say it in a sentence or two, like what did Bill Nye get wrong?
5: He reduces cause and effect as the key way in which people have more fulfilling lives. That if people just knew better, they would behave better and would we would have a better planet. It's an incredibly naive view.
6: I think you said something
3: about on the show about people need meaning. People need story.
5: That's how we live. That's how we often experience, you know, No one says to, well, I hope, you don't say to your lover, you know, like, the pheromones that I'm getting from you, coupled with the harmonic and serotonin levels that are spiking, just make me just completely aroused by you. You know, you say, I love you. That has more meaning. It's much more subtle, internal. Those are the things that absorb the minds of astrologers.
3: This is why I think that it actually does matter that astrology is, at least abstractly, connected to the stars. Meaning. There is something about believing that you have a place cosmically. In astrology, the belief is in a universe that is not meaningless and disconnected, stars grouped like a stain on the bathroom ceiling, but a belief in a universe that is inherently meaningful and connected, stars grouped like a lion, or a hunter, or a pair of twins.
5: At the same time, it frees you from the constraints of, of your tradition. It's not latent with some of the traditional baggage. There's no heaven or hell.
3: If you are looking for spirituality and meaning, but the traditional sources of spirituality reject you because of your sexuality or gender, maybe astrology is a way to find meaning that's freer from judgment. One astrologer, Chani Nicholas, wrote an article titled Why Do Queers Love Astrology? And in it, she says, quote, Maybe it's because we need to know that no matter the rejection that we have faced here on Earth, there is a place for us among the stars.
2: Today's show was produced by Justine Paradise with me, Sam Evans-Brown, Sarah Ernst, Taylor Quimby, and Jimmy Gutierrez.
3: Thanks also to Sarah Gibson, Annie Ropeek, Jackie Halbert, and Hannah McCarthy for being the voices of our Lexads.
2: Thank you also to Gary Philipson
3: and Patrick Curry. And thank you to Dr. Trisha Pion. Also, the astrologer Claire Comstock-Gay is coming out with a book next spring. It's called Madam Clairvoyance: Guide to the Stars.
2: Erica Janik is our executive producer. Maureen McMurray is in retrograde. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions, Ari De Niro, Daniel Birch, Lizzo, Nocturum, Ryan Little, and Scott Gratton. Please do remember Outside In is a public radio show, and public radio does rely on you and your support to make it happen. You can donate to the show online at outsideinradio.org.
3: Also, hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Outside In Radio. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder.
2: Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
0: That's J-A-N-J-I dot com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off.
1: I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with shipped, And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nuh-uh. Hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew. Grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get shipped same day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi.